This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all. But it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. Today is Friday, August 23rd, 2019. On this day in 1936, serial killer Henry Lee Lucas was born in Blacksburg, Virginia. Lucas confessed to committing hundreds of murders during his life, although some investigators and historians believe he was exaggerating. Today, historians debate whether Lucas was history's most prolific serial killer or merely a liar playing the system. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all. But it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. Welcome to Today in True Crime, a ParCast original. Every day, we flip back the calendar to this date years ago and recount one event from true crime history. Due to the graphic nature of today's crimes, listener discretion is advised. We advise extreme caution for children under 13. Today, we're going back to August 23, 1936, when Henry Lee Lucas was born to an alcoholic father and an abusive mother. Because of his compulsive lying, many details of Lucas's life are suspect, but interviews with childhood friends confirmed that his life began early in the morning of August 23, 1936, in a rundown two-room cabin near Blacksburg, Virginia. The batch was almost ready. Just a few more days and Anderson Lucas would have maybe his best moonshine yet. He could smell the way the grains were fermenting, made his mouth water. Well, it wouldn't hurt to sneak just one little sip. Yeah, that was the good stuff. While Anderson stole his premature taste, he saw one of the children stumble into the room. Anderson couldn't remember the kid's name at the moment. With eight little ones running around, who could expect him to keep track of them all? Maybe it was the chemical jubilance. Anderson had been tasting all morning, but he didn't mind the tyke's presence. Sure, the kid had snot running out of his nose, a couple bruises Anderson hadn't noticed before, and he stank of sweat and dirt. But he wasn't so bad. And if the kid ever did cause trouble, there were always relatives who needed extra hands on their farms. Anderson had already sent away a few of his own, and that had all worked out. What else could he do with so many whiny mouths to feed? 
There was Viola, his laboring wife, screaming right on cue, birthing yet another baby the family didn't need, and raising a ruckus about it, too. She wasn't too bad at the end of the day, but that didn't mean Anderson had to pretend to enjoy her cries so early in the morning. That was one of the reasons he'd retreated to the only other room in the cabin. It didn't provide much respite from Viola's caterwauling, but it would do. Except the thin walls meant Anderson heard every one of Viola's wails. And sure enough, the toddler beside him grew upset. The next thing Anderson knew, he had two screaming, crying folks disturbing his peace and quiet. There wasn't much of anything Anderson could do to silence his wife. Nothing to do but wait for the labor to run its natural course. But he could shut up the kid, at least. Anderson beckoned toward his son. He coaxed the child over and tipped a ladleful of moonshine into the toddler's mouth. The child slurped at the drink, dribbling half of it onto the floor. Anderson was a good enough brewer that he didn't mind sharing the product. He could make more, and a quiet house was worth the loss of a few mouthfuls of drink. Sounded like things were getting intense. Viola was usually tough as nails, made good money as a sex worker when her pregnant belly wasn't putting off her johns. Anderson certainly could have done without so many young'uns underfoot, but Viola had to bring in money somehow, and there wasn't any way for her to do the work without the babies coming later. Though he figured some of them had to be his, he wasn't sure about this one. Not that there was anything he could do about the matter. After nine births, Anderson was used to the process, and he knew that men had no place in this most female of processes. So while Viola moaned and screamed in pain, Anderson waited it out, brewing and drinking. At least that toddler, whatever his name was, seemed to be drifting off to sleep. Good. That meant the moonshine was strong and acted quick, just the way Anderson liked it. So while Viola screamed in anguish, Anderson gave his batch another stir. It was just about ready. Anderson Lucas wasn't too concerned about his new baby's quality of life, no more so than any of his other children. And he never imagined that his son would grow up to be one of history's deadliest serial killers. Coming up, we'll discuss Henry Lee Lucas's confirmed crimes and explore his unconfirmed ones. Now back to the story. On August 23, 1936, Henry Lee Lucas was born in a two-room dirt floor shack in Blacksburg, Virginia. He was the ninth child born in his family, although few of his siblings shared a biological father. He never knew for sure if he was really related to the man he called father, Anderson Lucas, but suspected he wasn't. Henry Lee Lucas had a difficult childhood. In addition to growing up in extreme poverty, Lucas's parents were neglectful and abusive. The children helped out with Anderson's moonshine brewing operation and frequently drank the product. By the time he was 10 years old, Lucas was an alcoholic, 
and his childhood and teenage years were marked by repeated sexual abuse at his mother's and half-brother's hands. In 1949, when Lucas was 13, his father passed out drunk outside during a blizzard and froze to death. According to Lucas's testimony, it was just a year or two later that he killed for the first time. Although the timing suggests a connection between Anderson's death and Lucas's murderous streak, he consistently blamed his mother's sexual abuse for his compulsion to kill. Lucas's teenage years were marked by ongoing legal trouble. He was never connected to any local murders, but still engaged in a series of petty arrests, convictions, and prison escapes. In 1959, he moved to Michigan, hoping to put some distance between himself and his tumultuous family. His mother, Viola, followed Lucas against his will, pressuring her son to move home. On January 11, 1960, 23-year-old Lucas and his mother went to a local bar together. There, they both got drunk before they began noisily arguing. Their fight lasted well into the night, even after they left the bar and returned to Lucas's house. Soon, the altercation became violent. Viola armed herself with a broom, cudgeling her son with the handle. In response, Lucas grabbed a knife and stabbed Viola in the neck, killing her. After Viola was dead, Lucas sexually abused her corpse. Police found Viola's body soon afterward, and Lucas was arrested and sent to prison for up to 40 years. However, after two attempted suicides, the police feared that the stress of prison life was dangerous to Lucas. He was transferred to a mental hospital and then released shortly thereafter for his emotional well-being, as well as to alleviate prison overcrowding. He had served only 10 years of his sentence. Once he was released, Lucas only escalated his violent and sexually aggressive behaviors. According to his own testimony, he traveled the nation, murdering women so he could have sex with their dead bodies. Most notably, in the summer of 1982, 46-year-old Lucas murdered his underage girlfriend, Frida Becky Powell. That fall, he killed his former landlord, Kate Rich, and burned her body in his stove to destroy the evidence. In June of 1983, police arrested Lucas for possession of a deadly weapon. They had no inkling of his murderous past until his fifth day of confinement. That day, he wrote a note that said, I, Henry Lee Lucas, to try to clear this matter up, I killed Kate Rich in September last year. I have tried to get help so long and no one will help. I have killed for the past 10 years and no one will believe it. Initially, Lucas only confessed to Rich's death, but during questioning, he also blurted out the truth of his ex-girlfriend, Becky Powell's demise, unprompted. Lucas was found guilty of both murder charges, sentenced to 75 years and life in prison for Rich's and Powell's murders, respectively. 
During the proceedings, press flooded the courtroom and captured Lucas's announcement that he'd killed over 100 women. The confession made Lucas a media sensation. And Lucas didn't see any downside to offering more confessions. He was already going to spend his entire life in prison, and talking about his crimes earned him attention and material perks that made life in prison more bearable. Often he traveled to the murder scenes to walk investigators through his supposed crimes. On these trips, Lucas could leave the confines of the prison, eat food from restaurants, and of course, continue to court the press. Plus, the confessions seemed to make his jailers happy. His details helped them close hundreds of cold cases. But the more confessions Lucas made, the more outlandish and macabre the details became. His testimony began to include elaborate descriptions of cannibalism, as well as assertions that he belonged to an international child kidnapping ring. He also claimed to be a member of a devil-worshipping cult that committed human sacrifice for satanic rituals. Some officials came to believe he was exaggerating for the headlines and perks if he wasn't just lying altogether. Lucas was tried for several of the crimes he confessed to and eventually received the death sentence. However, later investigations into one of his admitted murders uncovered exculpatory evidence and the police concluded that this confession and presumably others was false. Because it was clear that Lucas was innocent of the murder that led to his death penalty conviction, then-Governor George W. Bush commuted his term to life in prison on June 26, 1998. Lucas was 61 at the time and remained in prison for three more years before he died of heart failure on March 12, 2001. Today, the veracity of Lucas's confessions remains hotly contested. He clearly enjoyed his opportunities to leave prison and travel around the country, and there's very little physical evidence firmly connecting him to any murders outside of Viola Lucas, Becky Powell, and Kate Rich. Therefore, we have no way to assess for certain how prolific a serial killer Lucas really was. But if Henry Lee Lucas was telling the truth, even in part, that would make the man born on August 23, 1936, one of the deadliest serial killers of all time. For more information on Henry Lee Lucas's life, crimes, and confessions, Check out our episodes of Serial Killers on Henry Lee Lucas and those on his sometimes partner in crime, Otis Tool. Additionally, our episodes of Unsolved Murders on the Adam Walsh murder explore some of the murders Lucas confessed to and weigh the likelihood that he's guilty of them. I'm Vanessa Richardson. Today in True Crime is a ParCast original. You can find more episodes of Today in True Crime and all other ParCast originals for free on Spotify. Not only does Spotify already have all of your favorite music, but now Spotify is making it easy for you to enjoy all of your favorite ParCast originals, like Today in True Crime, for free from your phone, desktop, or smart speaker. 
To stream Today in True Crime on Spotify, just open the app and type Today in True Crime in the search bar. At Parcast, we're grateful for you, our listeners. You allow us to do what we love. Let us know how we're doing. Reach out on Facebook and Instagram at Parcast and Twitter at Parcast Network. We'll be back with a brand new episode tomorrow in True Crime. Today in True Crime was created by Max Cutler, is a production of Cutler Media, and is part of the Parcast Network. It's produced by Max and Ron Cutler, sound designed by Russell Nash, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Paul Liebeskind, Maggie Admire, and Carly Madden. This episode of Today in True Crime is written by Angela Jorgensen. I'm Vanessa Richardson.